Good evening, uh, church family. I trust you've enjoyed a wonderful day, and I hope your heart was blessed this morning listening to Pastor Waugh. And um, tonight we're privileged to hear from uh, Pastor David Webster. Uh, I really believe God will bless your heart with this message. He's a simple man with a wonderful testimony of salvation. I wish we had time to get into that, and and a great passion and heart for God's people. God's blessed him with a beautiful building and a beautiful pipe organ, and you're going to hear from that tonight. Before we uh, get into that, however, let me just make mention of uh, something I saw. I saw a little uh, uh, meme, I guess it would be, on the internet uh, today, and it showed uh, a hand, an arm and a hand reaching up out of the water, and another hand reaching down, and their hands were interlocked, and... Uh, and the caption on the picture said, uh, as if it were God speaking, I heard your prayers, now trust my timing. And maybe as we are praying about this COVID-19 situation, and as we're crying out to God for various things, including revival, uh, let's not be weary in well-doing. Uh, let's remember that God has promised to hear our prayers, but not always is it the right time, and God uh, has a, a uh, very, very uh, wise uh, understanding of times and people, and in his time, he will work. I'm reminded, and I turned uh, uh, tonight to, to this passage of Scripture, 1 Kings 18, where Elijah had been with uh, uh, King Ahab on Mount Carmel in the contest with the prophets of Baal. God had shown his mighty power, and victory was won in the name of the Lord. And there hadn't been any rain for three and a half years at the praying of Elijah. We recently talked about that in a Wednesday night service. So now, with the contest being ended and the prophets of Baal being slain, the scripture tells us in 1 Kings chapter 18 that Elijah said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he, that is Elijah, said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And so I like that little statement, there ariseth uh, a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. In other words, in such a way that somebody's about to do something and it wasn't when expected, but uh, in fervent prayer and repeated prayer and repeated looking, finally it came and then quickly became uh, torrential rain and downpour. Uh, so we are convinced by uh, what God has revealed to us in Scripture that he is able, nothing too hard for him. And we also can be convinced, if we would, uh, that he will show up on time and he will answer his prayers. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So men ought always to pray and not to faint. Let's not be weary in well-doing and let's persevere together in prayer, shall we? All right, let's have a word of prayer together. And then, again, I told you this morning that this, uh, this uh, session will be a little longer. 
Uh, it's going to begin with about a 10-minute segment of uh, learning about this pipe organ and hearing uh, a hymn uh, played on the pipe organ, and then uh, Pastor Webster's impassioned preaching uh, for a little over an hour, and uh, so an hour and 15 to 20 minutes in length altogether. I trust that you'll be able to uh, sit through it all and be blessed by it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful times of refreshing that we've been having morning and evening for this uh, week. Uh, during this week, we thank you for these faithful men of God and uh, for their faithfulness in preaching the truth of God's word without fear and, with, and without favor. And Father, thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts, stirring us and challenging us. And I pray that you will continue that work tonight, that each of us would be uh, our, our hearts would be laid open before you, and we would uh, remember that this story in Esther has been recorded for us uh, for our patience and comfort, uh, that we would grow and learn and be challenged. And I pray you'll just empower the message and the messenger. Thank you for Pastor Webster and his dear church and all that they've put into this conference. Bless this service now to bring honor and glory to your name, and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to have a special number here right now uh, that you've been waiting for, and uh, it's the organ. We're going to play. You see this big organ right behind us here? This is all a, a big organ. I'll give you a little bit of history here. This organ was built in this church about uh, 20 years after the church was built. When the church was built, the building in 1906, the total cost of building the church was about $45,000 Canadian. And, uh, and the church was full. They had no balcony in those days, and they needed two things. They needed to put a balcony in, and they wanted to put an organ. Things were just flourishing in between 1906 and 1914. And plans were put in place to build the balcony and the organ, but then the First World War broke out, and it devastated the churches across our country, and uh, in a way the churches never did regain what was happening before the First World War. Folks, before the First World War, there was revival happening in Canada. There is no doubt in my mind. All over Canada from about 18, the middle 1800s to early 1900s, it was growing. Now. So they decided, you know, God was prospering, people were being added, the church was full, we'll build a balcony and build the organ. When they put the organ in, the organ cost more, just the organ, than the entire church did in 1906. It was over the mountain. And so Cassavant Organ Company came and installed the organ, and it was a big project. They had to add a bunch of brick in the back and rooms. There are 1,400 pipes in behind this behind me here 1400 pipes they're all hooked with little tiny wires to the organ console right over here can you and uh, so we're going to hear an organ special my daughter Krista and who is uh, Krista Hollingsworth now she is going to play a special for us now
Eucharista. Thank you very much. That was a blessing. And that is a great, the organ is amazing, uh, a prelude to preaching the gospel. There is something so majestic and rich about organ, the organ music when it is being played. Thank you, Krista, for doing that. Uh, I asked her if she would mind doing that for the con. I hope it came across uh, through the through the system as well and rich as it sounds in here. Um, but it's a blessing. So, Take your Bibles tonight, turn to the book of Esther, chapter 4, for a few minutes. Esther chapter 4, verse number 14. Esther 4, verse 14. And we're going to spend a few minutes here in this message tonight. And uh, really wasn't my idea to preach myself. I wanted all the other guys, but a few people asked me, are they, Pastor, are you going to preach uh, at that? And Dr. Flanders encouraged me uh, to take a spot. So here I am, and I'm thrilled to be able to preach the gospel. It's a love of my heart. I love preaching the Word of God. I love the, being a pastor is the greatest calling in the world to be a preacher of the gospel. There's nothing else that compares to it, not the president of the United States, no president's job. Not, as, there's nothing like preaching the word of God. If you're called to preach, you have the highest calling in the world. And preacher, what we need, though, we need the wind uh, at our back. We need the wind to get to our back these days. That's revival. That's what revival will do. Revival will help the preachers that are out there and it will call a whole bunch of guys who need to get there and it will revive preachers all over the country. Uh, everything will change. Singing will change. Music uh, and I mean in a good way. Uh, the prayer life will change in our churches. That's what revival will do. Revival. Well, there's a, I think, a lesson here for us tonight in the book of Esther. And uh, Esther chapter 4, verse number 14. And we're going to read to the end, verse 14 to 17, a few verses. And, uh, and so let's read together. If, uh, Esther 4, 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time... Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, nor night and day. I also and my handmaids will fast likewise, and so also will I go in unto the king, and which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way, and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. My text tonight is in verse number 14, where it says, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And that's the title of the message tonight, for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, help me. 
Fill me, anoint with your spirit the preaching of the word. Lord, without it, our preaching is vain. Our preaching become words only without the anointing work of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that the Holy Ghost will be real wherever it is the Bible is being uh, heard tonight all across Canada, in every living room, in every home, in every heart. Lord, I'm praying that the Spirit of God will work in the hearts of your people. Lord, we need revival. We do in our country. Lord, we need the wind at our back again. We need to hear the sound of the rushing mighty wind. Lord, we need the fresh oil of heaven uh, coming down upon the saints of God again in this day. And Lord, I pray that you would take these few words in these few minutes and anoint them and do something, Lord, to, to, to sow the seeds of revival in Canada from this whole conference. And Lord, we pray for the Philippines as well and around the world, the United States. Lord, the greatest gift Canada could give to the United States of America, just like you did in the 1800s where a uh, there was that breath of heaven in Hamilton, Ontario that, that went across the border and it was one of the greatest revivals of the, of the Western Hemisphere in those years. Lord, do it again, we pray. L please visit us. And Lord, I know the reason you don't. It's us. We hinder. We're sinful. We don't want to deal with our sin. Lord, we live in a sinful generation, a sinful and adulterous and wicked generation. And Father, I'm praying that you would help us. Help us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's for such a time as this. Well, I want to start with a few, a little bit of a definition of the background of these people. There's a few characters here you need to know in the book of Esther. There's King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus. He plays the major role here as a Persian vassal king. And his name is actually Xerxes. If you go to the history books, he's his, his King Xerxes. He's a son of Darius. And uh, he's uh, one of the four Persian kings uh, that is mentioned. There was a Persian king in history. God used them. And it's very interesting that the Persian kings, the Persia, which is now Iran today, but I, I was enlightened by an Iranian Christian man, Michael Gurmey, who came here uh, some time ago, and he showed me things from the scripture where the Persians actually were favored by God in some ways in King Cyrus, in King Darius, King Artaxerxes with Nehemiah. They all were favorable to, the, to God's people. And folks, I believe one of the reasons we see the favor of God from the Persian king to God's people was because of the end, this, this, what was happening right here. There's King Xerxes. Well, first of all, the story starts out with Queen Vashti, who was the 
the king's queen and he'd had a big party and he wanted Queen Vashti to put on a beauty uh, display for all of the people at the party and she refused, rightfully refused and he kind of divorces her, gets rid of her. And, uh, and then we have another guy, Haman, in this story. He was the evil guy, evil man, uh, evil and he had an evil agenda to destroy the Jewish people. And that was his, his goal. And his name, uh, he goes back to, uh, back to the ancestry of uh, Agag. Remember when King Saul slew, uh, was supposed, he brought Agag back? Well, this man, it was related, a far distant relation of, uh, of descendant of King Agag. With animosity towards the Jews for what they had done, and uh, I'm sure he carried that in his heart and he hated and despised the Jews. But there's another reason that Haman despised the Jews. He was being used by Satan. Satan was behind this whole episode, Satan and evil, King ha or Haman. And he was the governor. He was basically the prime minister of the empire, uh, not the king, but the prime minister. He was second in command to King Xerxes. Okay. And then we have the man Mordecai. Mordecai was uh, a Jewish man serving. Now, where did all these Jews, how do they fit in? Well, we're up in Persia. And if you will remember when the writing was on the wall back down in Babylon that night, when Daniel interpreted the invisible hand, the finger writing, uh, Tekel, Tekel Sepharsin, he uh, interpreted that, uh, that message to the king of, 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 uh, of Babylon. And, uh, and that night, the Chaldeans, the Persian Empire, basically invaded under Cyrus the Great and, uh, and conquered Babylon. That was the end of the great empire of Babylon. Empires rise and fall, and uh, God is behind it all. And we see then these Jewish captives that were there in Babylon. Some of them stayed there under the rule then of King Darius. And many of them are brought back up into Persia to serve in different capacities and roles in the Persian Empire. And that's where we are now, the Persian Empire under King Xerxes or Ahusserus. And uh, so we see this this, uh, this, where there's many Jews scattered throughout the kingdom and they were, they were serving in different roles and were, but were despised by Haman who was despised by really being used as a pawn of Satan. It's very similar to what happened many years later, 2,500 years later with somebody else with the letter, the name beginning with the letter H. His name was Hitler. Hitler was carrying out exactly the same agenda, King Haman. Only his plans were intervened by one lady. We have one more person to introduce here, and her name is Esther. Esther the queen. So after Vashti is divorced from the, the, the king, a year passes by, and uh, the king says, I want a new queen. He tells the messengers to go throughout the whole land of uh, Persia, the whole Persian empire, by the way, at that time went all the way from Egypt 
to Iraq, all the way from Iraq to Egypt, a huge empire. And there were 120 provinces, I believe, in the entire kingdom. And, uh, and the king uh, wants a new queen. So basically, he or organizes a beauty contest. A beauty contest and brings virgins from all 120 provinces that his messengers went out and found. The most beautiful of the beautiful of all these different countries brings them in. And there were over 400 women that came for this final, this, uh, this contest, basically a beauty contest. And here was a young girl, a Jewish girl, raised by Mordecai. Her mom and dad had died, and God had raised up this young girl with, uh, in a, in a, in under Mord in Mordecai's home, and basically they were cousins. And, uh, and Mordecai brought her up like his own daughter. And now Mordecai's job was looking at, he looked after the, uh, the doors and the keeper of the door of the king's palace. And I, this is what I think happened. He saw these girls from all over the kingdom. They were coming in and uh, applying and trying to win this beauty contest. And he watches these girls come by the front gate and he thinks to himself, I think Esther, Esther could win this. Now, before we glorify anybody too much here, there is nothing about this book of Esther that is really got much of God in it. God's people are in a strange land. And there's no way a godly Jew would be in a beauty contest. So there is no, nothing going on here that is really very godly. It's not a Daniel story in the Babylon. And we have this young girl, a virgin, going and entering into this beauty contest, and she wins the beauty contest. She was a beauty queen. She was, she was a, a stunning beauty. It says in here, and she was fair and very beautiful. It says right in the Bible. And you know, beauty is a gift, just like anything else this world is. It's a gift that God gives to certain young ladies, and it's a gift, I want to remind you, that fades. It fades. I believe with Esther is it wasn't just her physical beauty. There was something else about this young girl that caught the king's eye. There wasn't just an external beauty, there was an internal beauty. He saw something in this girl that was different than all the other girls that came through. There was a sweetness and a gentleness and a kindness and, a, and an inner joy there were some attributes of this girl that the king really liked, of course, plus her beauty. Now, she wins the beauty contest and becomes the king. She really right there broke Jewish law. No Jewish girl is supposed to marry a heathen uh, uh, king um, and uh, be married outside of the Jewish race. So we don't have any godly 
uh, pathway here. But what we do see, ladies and gentlemen, we see a story of amazing providence and intervention. And we see an account here of the grace of God intervening for God's people. That's what I see. It's a book of providence. Like so many books of the Bible, you see there's another thing about this story, the book of Esther. Not one time is God mentioned, or the Lord, or Jehovah, not once. It's not there. And I believe it's this, is God had left his people. He had forsaken his people. Uh, that was part of the curse while they were in captivity, and they're scattered now. But here, they'd probably, back in Babylon, had heard Daniel Maybe had heard Ezekiel preaching, prophesying. They knew what godliness was. And deep in their hearts, they knew they weren't where they were supposed to be. And they knew that someday we're going to be back where we belong. And they knew that there was a God over them, a God uh, that they could call on in crisis. And folks, that's what I want to bring this message tonight. It is uh, in such a time as this. And I want to focus on the time tonight, uh, the time, the time as this. We are living in a very strange time right now. Never before in the history of the world has the world been shut down like we are right now. Every corner of the world. I talked to a missionary just the other day. We had him up here on the uh, a missionary right from the very center of Russia. And uh, they're going through exactly what we are right now. Waiting, wondering, shut down, stores closed, streets empty, and wondering what comes next. Venezuela, Australia, Africa. We're trying to help Africa right now because Africa, we're trying to send money over there to help Liberia because there's no food up in the jungle. They can't afford food. They're not allowed to work in the markets. There's no food. I'm telling you, folks, these COVID days, we are just at the beginning of what the fallout of COVID-19 is going to do to the world. And for such a time as this, folks, I want us to really think about this time right now. And first, I want to bring out that this was a time of crisis, a time of crisis. In chapter three of, of, of his Esther, chapter three and verse number five, and when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Verse 6, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. There wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Hesarus, even the people of Mordecai. Verse 7, in the first month that is the month Nisan in the twelfth year of the king Ahasuerus, they cast her, that is the lot before Haman from day to day and from month to month to be the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And uh, that lot has a very interesting significance in this story, the lot per. Now, we see evil, a time of evil, evil crisis 
And there's no other way to describe it. This was a bad situation. There was an evil man in second in command in the world, the biggest power in the world. And this man had an evil agenda. And it was to destroy the Jews, Mordecai and the Jews. And he almost attained it. Folks, we live in evil times. Evil times. There's no other way to describe our times. You can see the evil on the media. You can see evil everywhere. It's just the evil. I talked to a Pastor Unger the other day. I was chit-chatting with him in Bethel, in, 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 in London, Ontario. And we were talking about, I think, Venezuela, the Venezuela situation. And then he was telling that it just doesn't matter where you look nowadays. Our world is messed up. It is in big trouble every corner. And we're hoping politicians will fix it. We're hoping politicians will fix it. But folks, I want to tell you, we're living in an evil time. It's a time of crisis. And I want to tell you tonight that I believe with all my heart, the crisis isn't COVID-19. COVID-19 is going to play a part. But the evil that is facing us is way bigger than COVID-19. There's an evil air in the world. And you know why Mordecai wouldn't bow to Haman? He saw the evil in Haman. He watched him come and go from the temple, the, the, the palace, day after day. He saw his conniving. He knew what he was made up. They could see evil in this man, Mordecai. And he said, I'm not bowing to you. Plus, it was against the Jewish law to bow to, and he wouldn't do it. And Haman was full of wrath against Mordecai. And he wanted his vendetta. He thought, I'm going to not just get rid of Mordecai. I'm going to get rid of every Jew in the kingdom. He goes to the king and he gets the king uh, and gets some uh, to the king and gets the king to sign something that will allow him to eradicate every Jew. And not only do that, but reward the people that did it. He was going to reward them with money. And uh, the plan was in place and Haman was happy. And I mean, it looked like it was a done deal. Evil, evil time, a time of evil crisis. But folks, what I see in this story next, it was a time to wake up. It was a time to wake up. Wake up chapter 3. And verse number 15, chapter 3 and verse number 15, he says, The post went out, being hastened by the king's command, and the decree was given. And, uh, and uh, so we see here, they're sitting down, Haman, I mean, it's a done deal. He's had the king sign the decree, and he's got a, ver a decree here to take and have all of the kings. Now we see providence here. They cast lots to determine when to make this day. And the lot was called Pur, Pur, P-U-R. And they cast lots. And we see God's providence even in this, in the casting of lots. Yes, what we see in this, we don't see God or the Lord mentioned here. But folks, for the grace of God, we see God moving behind the scenes in every verse, in every chapter of this story. God is behind the scenes. We don't see his name mentioned, but we can see he did not forsake his people. He's there in behind. 
working all the time, just like he is today. He's in behind the scenes. Folks, behind COVID-19, God is behind the scenes. To say that God created this would be nonsense, but whatever the reason of it, God knew it was going to come. And I promise you, this COVID is going to accomplish the purposes of God. If it weren't for the COVID-19, we wouldn't be doing this conference that is going all over the world. That wouldn't be happening. We never even live streamed a service before COVID-19. And I know we are one of thousands of churches all over the world doing the same thing. You see, God is working behind the scenes, the providence of God. God's purposes still go forward. Our God reigns. I listened to a song today, uh, was saying our God reigns and he's reigning in, he's reigning over men, over kingdoms and behind the scenes today. In a godless evil time, God is working behind the scenes. Folks, the second thing, it was a time of crisis, but it was a time to wake up. This was serious. And Mordecai says, oh my, he knew this is serious. This has got potential for great harm to his people and to the entire empire. If this is carried out, it's a decree, it's signed, it's a done deal. How are you ever going to stop this, this evil from progressing across the land, this biggest empire? There will be no Jews left in the Persian empire. What do we do? Time to wake up. Folks, the Bible is very clear. At times, Christian people need to wake up. Wake up. In the book of Romans, chapter 13 and verse 11, it says, And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Do you know when that was written? That's not written to unsaved people. That's written to save people. The book of Romans, Paul is saying, wake up, wake up. We're nearer than we've ever been. And folks, I believe with all of my heart, we are nearer now than we've ever been. Uh, for sure we are. But I think we are seeing the first glimpses of the pale horse, the red horse, and the black horse of Revelation. I do with all my heart. I think we are at the doors of Matthew 24. I think that we are close to the doors of the times when the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And you know what we need to do, Christian friend? Whatever province you're in, whatever city you're in, wherever you are, we need to wake up to the times that we're living. We need to seize the moment. Wake up. We need to wake up and redeem the time. The Bible says redeem the time for the days are evil. We need to wake up for the times that we live. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34, he says, awake to righteousness and sin not for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He's talking to the Corinthians who've been living carnal lives like so many churches in Canada. So many Christians leave carnal, worldly lives. You know, they don't care about God or the things of God or, or what of soul winning or reaching out for God. It's sickening how many Christians live in Canada. I'm going to tell you, folks, it's time to wake up.
It is time to wake up to the seriousness of the hour and the time that we live. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 14, he says, Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You know what he's, that's Christians. Christians in Ephesus, one of the best churches of the, of the time, the Ephesian church, the model church, we might say, the biggest church, the revival church. But something had happened there. And it got worse. Back in the book of Revelation, he says, you've left your first love. And he's saying here, he's saying, awake thou that sleepest. Wake up, Christian. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Folks, I want to tell you, it's time for Christians Baptist Christians to wake up. We are, we are filled with so many problems. We got our churches. I heard, talked to a pastor the other day. and It's just sad what I, 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 Christians are bickering and picking at different people and in the church and criticizing during this COVID time when we of all times need to be loving one another and encouraging one another and, and especially, especially encouraging your pastor. Get behind your pastor. Encourage him. Do something out there. And uh, pastors, uh, we need to wake up. A time to wake up. Oh, yes, it was a time of evil crisis there in the land of Persia. It was a, it's a time to wake up. And Mordecai saw it. He saw this is serious. It's serious. It was also a time for some radical action. Radical action. Chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 1 through 3. Mordecai says, I'm going to do something about this. This is serious. Now, you know what? They had good jobs. Mordecai, good job. Probably one of the best in the kingdom. Working as a king's gatekeeper. But you know what? Mordecai saw a cause. And he thought, somebody's got to do something. Somebody has to do something. And Mordecai, Mordecai does something radical. Chapter 4 and verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. Now, this is not something that you do when you're the king's employee in the king's gate. You are a dignified guy, just like in Buckingham's palace, they'd wear their hat and they'd stand there as people come and go and they take, they'd look at you and know, oh, yeah, this is my special position. But Mordecai got consumed with a cause. He said, is there not a cause? And I am going to do something radical. And he puts on sackcloth and ashes. It was, a, it was a radical action. Verse number two. And it came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. It was serious what he was doing. He could have been killed even by the king uh, in doing this. It was so out of order. Verse number three. And in every province, whithersoever the king commandment and his decree came, 
There was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Radical action. Yep, that's what it was. Radical action. And uh, chapter 4 and verse 8, chapter 4 and verse 8. Also he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go into the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. He sends up this, there's, there's a guy here by the name of Hadak, a messenger. So he's running back and forth between Mordecai and the queen. And the queen hears about uh, Mordecai out there in the streets wailing in sackcloth. She sends clothes out. She says, put some clothes on him and uh, tell him to stop acting like that. He refused the clothes. He says, no way. And she says, well, what's the problem then? And Hadak gets a message from uh, uh, Mordecai and he runs up there. And I'll just think of this. Just I want us to think about this. This is Queen Esther. She's got it made in the shade. She's the queen of the kingdom. Uh, she's got anything, servants, you name it. She is living in utopia. If there was a utopia for the kingdom. Mordecai sends a message. He says, Queen Esther, you got to wake up. This is serious, serious, serious business. We've got to do something really serious stuff. What? There was fasting, praying, and uh, chapter we go in. There's only one thing we can do here. We need more than anything God's help. Mordecai sends this message. Uh, Hadak uh, gives the message and and uh, Mordecai or Esther sends back the message to uh, to uh, Esther and uh, or to the Mordecai. Esther gets the message that uh, from Mordecai that all of the king, the king has got this decree. She sent him a copy. All of God's people are going to be purged out of the land, murdered, killed. And this has come from the Haman. It's got the king's decree. It's a done deal. Once the king made a decree in this land, there was no reversing it. It was a done deal. Now, Esther ponders this and she thinks, um, what can I do about it? And she could have. She could have just looked after her own skin. Now, Mordecai gives her a few words here soon and uh, tells her. But she comes back and she tells Mordecai, Mordecai, this is how serious, what you're asking. Chapter 4 and verse number 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have been not called to come unto the king these thirty 
days. Now, Esther's saying, I know you want me to go and see the king, but I haven't seen the king for 30 days. I guess they would, you would say they did not have a good marriage relationship. There was no relationship, really. Uh, she was basically, uh, so he, he uh, says, I haven't seen the king for 30 days. He hasn't called me in for 30 days. And you want me to go in. There's a law. It says that anybody goes into the king's court without being called will be killed unless he holds out the golden scepter. And he told, verse 12, Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded, verse 13, to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Now, hmm. Well, nobody knows I'm a Jew. I'm, nobody knows I'm a Jew. Oh, no, he says, but they will. They're going to find out. You are going to die. This could mean you will die. I mean, he's basically telling her she's not safe. You are going to die. And then he says in verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargements and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, basically Mordecai is saying, he's saying, you're not safe. We're not safe. Haman is evil. He is going to have, be sure, every Jew is purged out of the kingdom. Because it's the king's decree. It can't be reversed. It has to go forward. He said, the only hope we have is for you to go in to the king. She was between a rock and a hard place. That's where Esther was, between a rock and a hard place. Verse 15, then Esther answered and bade them return. Mordecai, this answer. Now this came, I don't know, hours later, maybe the next day, maybe two days later. I don't know, but this was Esther's pondering this, thinking about it, pondering it. This is a time of evil crisis. This was a time to wake up. It was a time for radical action, but it was now time. The only hope was spiritual help, was a spiritual help, a time for spiritual intervention, a time for divine intervention, a time for spiritual help. And she then sends out a decree to all the Jewish people in the kingdom. Now, I don't know how they got all this message out, but she says, go, verse number 16, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Don't eat or drink three days or nights. And he says, please, she says, go out and tell everybody to every Jew in the kingdom to fast for me. Three days. It's known as Esther's fast. So they do that all through the kingdom, fasting and praying. Esther is fasting and praying. 
Her maidens are fasting and praying all through the kingdom, fasting and praying. And there was urgency in this message. It was a need for God to help them who had left them. You never know God may deliver us. And she had been reminded by Mordecai, if you don't intervene, God is going to use somebody else. If you don't intervene, God is going to use someone else because God has promised his people will be preserved. God has promised that there's going to be a nation and a kingdom with David sitting on the throne. That was the promises they were hanging on, the covenant promises to Israel. Mordecai says, if you don't, you're going to miss out. You could actually maybe make a difference here. And if you don't, God is going to use somebody else. And you know what I want to say here? For every person out there, you're a Christian and you're not serving God right now. You know what you're doing? You're missing out. You are missing out. I see no many, many Christians. I think of a guy right now. The guy was a preacher. He knew the Bible inside and out. He out-Bibled me in every way. When we would sit and talk, it was the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. He used to pastor a church, and he's not pastoring anymore. It grieves me deeply. I love the guy with all my heart. I've visited and tried to help and Folks, I want to tell you something. If you don't fill the spot God has for you, God is going to use somebody else. The church is going to reign. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we have an opportunity. Now is our time. Folks, if you're not, if you aren't serving, serve. Get involved. Serve. How do I do that? Where do I start? The Bible. Get the Bible and then get into a church, a good church. Folks, I am, I, I believe one great error in the last generation is we have done all this admonition and teaching and we've left the importance of the church out of it. Folks, you can't be in the will of God if you're not in a church and you're going to miss out. The church is going to go on and you're going to miss out. The number one is get in a church. If you're not baptized, get baptized. You got to get baptized. If you're not serving, if you were serving, I was talking to a doctor here a while ago and uh, one of the Christian doctors and, and, uh, and he was telling me that he says, I know this guy. He said he used to be a serving the Lord. He was happy. Him and his wife were involved in serving and they're not serving anymore. They're not even, he's just in a business. He started his own business and he's totally left the ministry. I don't even know if they go to church anymore. It's sad. And that story can be repeated over and over and over and over and over uh, thousands of times across Saskatchewan, across Canada, all across our country. And Lord, and you know what I think? It, 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 it grieves me. I can't figure it out how a person that has tasted the grace of God has enjoyed the blessings of serving, you can just throw it all away and do your own thing. But I tell you, if you do, somebody else is going to take your place. The church is going to prevail. It's going. And, and, and you know what? We need revival. One of the things revival will do. Oh, in the 1971 revival, so many backslidden Christians, so many Christians that had gone where they would get back in 
in the race and they'd get serving and serve God, the wind of heaven blew back in to their soul and they beget a new vision for what God was going to do in their lives and for them. And they would, they got back in and became fruitful servants for the glory of God. That's what happened. That's why we need revival. Oh yeah, it'll rescue all these backslidden people, these kids that have been raised in Christian homes and and got disillusioned and the Satan, of course, used it and wooed them off into the worldly pleasures. But once revival winds begin to blow, you'll see those kids coming back into the church. It'll get so good they can't refuse it. I'll tell you about a story in the 1971 revival in Saskatoon that was shared with me by this gray-haired man. He said uh, this, that revival in Saskatoon, this was in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. And he, I preached the message and made reference just like uh, Pastor Pennell did the other day to the 71 revival. And, uh, and this couple were at the service and they came to me after and said, that revival changed our family, that 1971 revival. And they told me a whole bunch of things about it, but I'll share this one thing. They said, uh, I had a sister. My sister was a teenager. And uh, she was working at the Sears store in Saskatoon. It was called Simpson Sears then, I believe. And uh, she was a backslidden Christian. She was going to live for herself, wasn't going to have anything more to do with church. And Christianity had moved out of home, had her own apartment with another girl in the town. And, but what was happening at the Sears store in Saskatoon every day? Somebody was coming to the Sears store. I need to talk to the manager. They would talk to the manager and confess shoplifting crimes that they had done in the store. Girls, boys, men, women, mothers committing shoplifting crimes from way back. God so convicted them, they had to make it right. So they go to the store and, of course, the manager would come down and tell all the tellers that were working. The manager would say, you won't believe what happened today. And he just kept coming down and every day, you won't believe we had another girl come up, another girl, another lady, had a mother come and confess shoplifting crime. What is going on in this town? And this backslidden girl that was there working in the Sears store, she knew deep in her heart what was going on. And she got under such deep conviction. She went downstairs into the ladies' bathroom and she got on her knees and she started weeping and crying to God and said, Lord, and confessed that she was backslidden. She walked back upstairs, told the tellers, all of the tellers, I'm a Christian. I am a Christian. And I was, I'm living a life of sin and I'm going to get right. I know what, why all these people are coming in. They're being convicted of sin just like me. She got right. Then she went home that day, got right with her mom and dad and made things right with her parents. And then, and uh, the rest is his. She said, I had two cousins, that old, elder lady. She said, I had two Baptist cousins. Went to a Baptist church. They were in their teens, 18, 19. They were good kids. They were going to the revival in Saskatoon and they both got saved. You see, being Baptist doesn't save you. Amen. Being baptized doesn't save you. 
The only thing that saves you is faith and the Holy Spirit living in you. If you don't know you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you haven't experienced the Holy Ghost in your soul, Christ living in you, you are not a Christian. You're not a Christian. You need, and uh, so these people that were affected by the revival. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Esther saw the need for spiritual help. And you know what revival is? Folks, it is spiritual help. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all week, brothers and sisters in Christ, what we've been hearing is revival, revival, revival. And what revival is, is simply God sending us the help we need. Because I will tell you, in these evil times, we cannot, there is nothing we are going to be able to do to slow this down, this evil, the media. I tell you, I watched a little news clip last night with Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. A big conflict there between the two parties. And they're doing the same thing there to him as what the media and the left are doing in America. They're trying to destroy him. And they're using all the tricks and conniveries of media lies to do the same thing there. Folks, I'm telling you, we're living in evil times. Time that we need to wake up. Time for radical action in a time where God's people need to plead with God for spiritual help. Esther did the right thing here. She says, tell everybody across this country, every province to pray for me. And folks, I'm saying the same thing tonight in Canada. Every province, every province, every city, every church, everywhere from coast to coast, in the United States, in, in the Philippines, all over the world, we need God's people to pray for spiritual help in this hour. Spiritual help from heaven. No man, no preacher, no politician, no president is going to stop the tide of evil that is coming across our land. There's only one thing that'll do it. It's help from heaven. Help from heaven. It's God. Radical action. Let's do something. Let's not stay coasting on the same laurels of our, our traditional Christianity. Playing Baptist church. Playing Baptist games. Playing the Baptist programs. It's not going to work. We need heaven to come down. A time of evil crisis, a time to wake up, a time for radical action, a time for spiritual help from heaven. Dear friends, but I promise you, what we see outlined in the book of Esther is the formula for great victories, for revival, for God to do something. That's what it is. And I want to end with this. It is a time for us as God's people to enjoy some great victories. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Okay. So they have the fast, the prayer. And I can just imagine poor Esther as she thinks of going into the king's palace. She's trembling. Her heart is pounding so hard because she knows 
If that king who she hasn't seen for 30 days, and she doesn't know if he's in a bad mood or a good mood, and he was known for using the sword liberally. He had one wife that made him very upset, Vashti, and he got rid of her. He had a bunch of, in one of his armies, this King Xerxes in, a, in the history books, they had tried to go into Greece on a big battle campaign. There was a real conflict between them and Greece, and that was the final frontier for them to take. And they, he worked for years on a plan to bridge across into Greece and to attack Greece and to win, uh, to conquer Greece. And they, he had his engineers all build a big bridge across the peninsula there uh, into, into Greece and uh, up in the up in the that and and they uh, apparently what happened is a great big storm came up. They had all the boats working out there, construction boats. Uh, many boats were destroyed, uh, and the the bridge was totally destroyed, capsized, and down. And by the way, we see. So he was so angry. The king Xerxes was so angry. He had all of his. All of his engineers, all of his men that were in charge of that, every one of them were executed. He was so angry and upset that this failed, this plan had failed. So that's the kind of a guy he was. He wasn't a good guy. And Queen Esther, beautiful Queen Esther, in this palace of everything she wanted, she's going in. Her heart is pounding. And she walks in. If he doesn't hand out that golden scepter, I am dead. I hope God helps me. I hope God is going to help me here. And she walks, she dresses herself in the royal array that is necessary to go into the king's palace. She walks through the doors. The doors swing open. She comes in. Chapter 5. Now it came to pass, verse 1, on the third day, Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. Verse 2. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And she breathed a big sigh of relief. And Queen Esther walks in. Her heart settles down. She got her voice, her words. She really was almost, she was, very, very nervous about this whole thing. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom. Wow. We see a big wow here. A victory, wow. 
half the kingdom. Now we think about this, the biggest kingdom in the world. This is the king talking. And the king is saying, Esther, whatever you want, up to half the kingdom. Half the kingdom's yours if you want it. You know what we see here? We see the first little glimmer of spiritual victory from prayer. God's people praying, fasting and praying. And now this wasn't, it was a three-day fast that Esther called, but they'd been fasting, crying to God for days before that. And now there's a victory. She smells victory in the air. Verse, uh, verse number six, verse six. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And of what is thy request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be performed. Verse seven. Then answered Esther and said, my petition and my request is, if I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to a banquet that I shall prepare for them. And I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And she has another tomorrow in this. And I always think this is all divine providence. And I, we don't have time. We're out of time here. And uh, we, see, we see God bringing the victories. Bringing a victory. A wow victory. Now there's a real deadly plot that's aggressing very fast. In chapter 8, verse 14, we won't read it. There's a plot to kill Mordecai. Then chapter 6 and verse 1. It's very interesting. Chapter 6 and verse 1 through 3. The king goes to bed at night and he lays down and he has a little trouble getting to sleep. And he tells one of his messengers, he said, messengers, I need uh, somebody to read me something. Read me one of the chronicles. I like listening to the chronicles of all the great things we've done in our kingdom. Could you please read one of the chronicles? Please don't read that part about Greece and the bridge being destroyed. That part I don't want, but read me something. So the king, uh, he gets the reader to read to him as he's back on his bed. He can't sleep. It says in verse one, on that night could not the king sleep and he commanded to bring the books of the records of the chronicles and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king, Ahusuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered him, There is nothing been done for him. Nothing. What? He saved my life? Turn those guys in. We've done nothing. Mordecai. Now, which guy is Mordecai? Oh, yeah, Mordecai, the gatekeeper out there. Mordecai. Yeah, okay. Mordecai, do something for him. Do something great. And the rest of the story is, I wish, it's an amazing story. Mordecai uh, is brought up and basically, to make a long story short, Haman is tricked into uh, the king asks Haman, what should we, would we do for somebody we're trying to honor in the kingdom? And Haman thinks it's him. So Haman tries to, uh, he says, well, give him the very best. I mean, put him in royal peril. In verse chapter 6 and verse, uh, uh, verse 7, 
answer the king. He says, give him royal apparel and let the, the, the king wears and, and a horse to ride on and a royal crown and let this apparel and the horse be delivered into the hand of one of the king's most noble princes. Verse 10, and the king said to Haman, make haste and make the apparel of the horse as thou hast said and do so to Mordecai the Jew. Haman, what? I thought it was for me you were asking this question. I thought I was going to be the one put into this place of prominence and royal favor. Mordecai, my enemy, the one I hate, the one that doesn't bow to me at the gate. The king has said it. So here we see, <laughs> we see Haman out leading Mordecai, dressed in the king's clothes on the nicest king's horses, and he's being led in a royal array through the whole city of Shushan. And he is, uh, he is, I tell you, Haman is stewing. What is going on here? The next thing, but I tell you what we see here, folks. We see victory number two. We see the tables turning. We see victories. And I'll tell you where these victories were coming from. These victories are coming from heaven. These aren't coming from a person. They're not even coming from Esther. They are the providential hand of God bringing victories to his people. And I want to tell you what revival does. It brings victories to his people. And I want to tell you we are in crisis tonight. We are in, we are in crisis. Pastors leaving left and right. In Saskatchewan, there's hardly a Baptist preacher left in Saskatchewan. We need preachers, men of God, called of God to take places of feeding God's people. How are we going to do this? Bible colleges, you say, Bible colleges, we could get Bible schools. That's what we need. And that's part of it. I'm for the Bible school. But I'm telling you, folks, we need something bigger than Bible colleges. We need something bigger than good sermons. We have something bigger. We need God in heaven. We need spiritual help from heaven. We need the wind at our back again. We need to hear the wind of Pentecost blowing again that will gather his people. And ooh, folks, it can happen over and over and over and over in history. When, when uh, Jonathan Goforth came down from South Korea and he said, he said, he goes back to Manchuria and he says, we have got to have what's going on up in South Korea. Well, you can, but you have to be broken before me. You have to be broken and you've got to want it more than anything else in the world. It's going to take radical change of the way you do things. And he started praying, gathering the mission people, but half of them didn't believe in revival. Half of them, most of them. And the first thing he met was with opposition, opposition, unbelief and opposition. Bill McLeod used to, I asked him one time about revival. He said, he says, one of the first challenges you have with getting revival in your church is unbelief. The first thing you have to do is get people in your church to believe in revival, that God will do it 
for you. And the second thing you have to do is change the way you do everything. The status quo. Radical action. And I'll folks, Saskatoon in 71 is evidence. God will bring spiritual victories. Amazing spiritual victories. Jonathan Goforth prayed for five months in a little prayer meeting with some missionaries. And after a while, the missionaries told him, they said, uh, you know what? We're not getting any answers. God's not going to do anything for us here, not like up in Korea. And he wanted to quit. And Goforth and a couple of the other men said, no, we're not quitting. We're going to keep praying. We're going to change the time of day and we're not going to make it one hour. We're going to make it two hours. And they changed it and they prayed for months and months. You know, the church in Saskatoon, they prayed. They prayed for over two years, two years. And their prayer meetings kept growing and growing and they kept praying. They kept shifting and changing prayer meetings to make them lifelike and seeking God, crying to God. Their prayers life grew from five minutes to 15 to half an hour to an hour. And it became a prayer revival before it ever became a, a real church revival. But victories came. Many, many people were saved. Hundreds. You couldn't find a Bible anywhere in Saskatchewan, I'm told. They'd go to the Bible bookstore. I want to get a Bible. They'd be gone. We're getting another batch in this week. They should be in Friday. And they would come down Friday and there'd be a lineup. They were gone. That was in Saskatoon, Prince Albert, Regina, all over. And folks, I'm saying tonight, God will give us the victories if we will see the evil time that we're living and we will wake up to the cause and we will exercise a difference, a radical action. And it's a time for us, God's people, to seek God's help. And it's a time for us to enjoy some spiritual victories. The last chapter, he talks about a celebration. Mordecai says, we're going to have a celebration. He says, we're going to call it Purim. Because that day that Mordecai, that, that, that Haman designed for us, the day of Purim, the lot was cast. God turned it all around. And the Jews to this day, they celebrate that celebration, Purim. It's one of the holidays or the celebrations of the Jews, celebrating the great deliverance and victory through Esther the queen. It's a picture of grace. They didn't deserve it. Not a bit. Wrong country, wrong place, married to a wrong person. But they met the conditions. They prayed with broken hearts, crying to God, help us, help us, help us, help us. Oh God, help us. We're done. We're finished. If you don't help us, we're finished. Help us, Lord. Help us. Please help us. Help us. And that's what we need to do today in our Baptist churches. Help us, God, for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, please help us see the time that we live. And Father, help us. Lord, help us pay the price. Pray our way to victory. Pray our way to the 
place that we need to be for you to help us in these times, these evil days. Oh, Lord, we need heaven to intervene. Lord, we're looking to politics and politicians, and we thank you for every politician that stands, and we pray for him. But Lord, we as God's people, please help us. Help us, Lord. The greatest thing we need in our country is a grassroots movement started by you, burning in the hearts all over our country. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song. The pianist is going to play. Pastor Ray Uel. Amen. That's what we need. We need the Lord. We need the Lord's hand. We need the Lord's help. We're going to sing, I need thee every hour. Four, five, six. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. Amen. Listening in your car while we're singing here, we can you can pray and talk to the Lord and ask Him to help you. I need the every Listen, tonight, while God is, if God has spoken to your heart, please tell God what you're going to do tonight. Is he calling you tonight? Maybe he's waking you up. Maybe he's calling you to radical action, to do something. Maybe it's a prayer time that you've never had before. Oh, listen. I'm serious, dead serious about this message. It is time. We really, this time that we're living, it's an opportunity for us. If we don't seize the moment, we're going to lose it. God's prepared it all for us. It's such a time as this. I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. We need God. And I'll tell you, the addictions will go. All of the temptations are going to flow. Hey, we're not going to have trouble with all that stuff. If revival comes to our churches, we're going to see victories again. Victories, joy and rejoicing. Will you do it? Will you covenant with God tonight? Let God have his way right where you are. And if you make a decision tonight, tell somebody, please tell somebody, tell your pastor, tell your husband, tell your wife, tell your son, tell your daughter, I am changing. I am doing something tonight about the time that we live.